Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. All right, hey, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to make sure you get one. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19 this morning. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. We want to make sure you have one of those so you can check this guy and make sure I'm not throwing stuff into the scriptures for you. So, uh, hey, if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you came to worship us on, with us on Palm Sunday. What a great day for us to gather together and worship the Lord as we remember his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, we are in Matthew chapter 19, and uh, if you were with us last week, you'll recall that Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. He's in, he's in the region of Judea, just beyond the Jordan right now. And he's just a couple months away from the cross. And he is, although he's ministering to the uh, multitudes that will come about, he is primarily focused on ministering to his disciples. And so that is his focus. He's trying to prepare them for his departure from earth. He will always be with them, right? But he's going to leave them. And so they need to understand what's going on. Uh, you know, they, under, they need to, the mantle passed to them. And so Jesus is focused on them. So here we are, Matthew chapter 19 this morning. Stand with me if you would, please. We're just going to read a portion of our scripture this morning. And uh, then we will, we, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 30. But we're just going to read right now verses 13 through 16 through 15. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and they went away. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. As we continue to go through it this morning, God, would you help it to go through us? We ask, Father, that your word would do its efficacious work in our lives, it would soften our heart, that it would cause growth in our lives, Lord, that Anything that might be hindering us in our relationship with you might be revealed this morning by your word. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would lead us now, teach us, help us to leave this place different people. That's our prayer. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity and for the privilege it is to worship you. And we ask that you now come and teach us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. So we are here. Today on this day, celebrating Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus in Jerusalem. And this would mark the imminent countdown of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Interesting enough, it's the same people that would be yelling crucify him just five days after he comes into the... The same people are there with palm branches, you know, screaming Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. It's the same crowd. Jerusalem, they're all coming for the Passover. They're all gathering together to celebrate the Passover meal. And this would be the time and the place that God would have his son crucified on a cross. But three days later, he would rise again. Uh, and re you recall the account of the triumphal entry that before Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he wept over the city of Jerusalem. He understood the unbelief of the people. He knew that the very people that would scream Hosanna, which by the way, means salvation is here. Uh, they're proclaiming that salvation has come. They, they are saying that he's Messiah when he comes in, and yet five days later, they want to crucify him. That's how fickle we are, people. That's how easily our hearts can stray away from the Lord that quick. Be careful with your heart. 
But Jesus was overlooking the city and he began to weep over the city saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you together as a hen would gather her chicks, but you were not willing. And it was Jesus that would cry over them and then he would come anyhow, understanding the unwillingness of the many that were there in that city. He didn't just come for them, though he came for us. He came for every single person that would ever live or has ever lived or ever will live on the face of this planet. He was thinking about every one of us when he came. That's what we're celebrating here this morning. I find it interesting that we are in a place in Scripture where it's about coming to Jesus. That's the title of my message, Coming to Jesus. And yet we see in this account where Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem that he came for us. If Jesus had not come for us, we wouldn't be here today, folks. There would be no reason for us to gather. There would be no reason for us to celebrate because we would be stuck in our sin. But Jesus did come. Are you glad for that this morning? That Jesus Christ has come. Not only that, that he died for your sins and that he rose again from the dead so that you could proclaim victory over your lives. You could be set free from your sin. You could be washed clean. You could be reconciled to God by faith through his son. Man, what a great day that we get to go through this account where Jesus talks about coming to him. Now, the Bible is littered with scripture that talks about coming to God. God has invited you to come to him. This is not just some corporate sterile invitation. This is a personal invitation that he desires for every single person to come. He is not just at all blanket, you know, a blanket invitation over whoever decides to come. You know, we're going to circle up in Jerusalem and we're going to, you know, have a prayer meeting. No, he is personally inviting you into something far greater. He is inviting you into relationship with him through, uh, to, so he can be reconciled us to the Father. That is what he's doing, personal reconciliation. He's a personal invitation for you and I. Jesus has always told every single person that's come to him, he said, you got to follow me. You have to come. You have to be willing to come to me. Now, here's the thing about coming to Jesus. We do come as we are. That is true. We are sinners, so we come with our baggage. If you try and come to Jesus all cleaned up, no offense, but it's kind of like putting lipstick on a pig. It just doesn't work, right? I mean, that, that, that will not help the pig become prettier. The reality is, is that as sinners, when we come to Christ, when we come to him, we're coming with baggage, and he understands that. Jesus didn't come for those people that did not have any need. He came for the messy people. He came to get messy. He came to, to help us understand that we need him. And so if you're going to come to Jesus, you can come to him with, with, as you are. You can come to him as a sinner, but understand you have to come in a certain way. Like he's, he's asked us to come. If you're going to respond to my invitation, if you're going to respond to the RSV, you're going to RSVP to me, you have to come in, in a certain way. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. What does it mean to come to Jesus? There's two accounts that we find in, in Matthew chapter 19. There is the account of the little children that are coming to Jesus. That is the how to come to Jesus. And he'll explain that to us. But we find in verses 16 through 30, the account of the rich young ruler. Now this is not, this is how not to come. So these are the two divisions. They're, they're contrasting each other. It's no coincidence that we find that them, them right after one another here in the scriptures. God is trying to make a contrast of how to come to him and how not to. So here we have, our, if you're taking notes, our first point is how to come to Jesus. 
We must come to him expectantly. We come to him expectantly. Look at verse 13. It says, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Now, in this culture, it was customary for, for parents to bring their children to rabbis. They'd bring them to rabbis. The rabbis would lay their hands on them. They would pray for them. They wanted a blessing upon them. We see this in Scripture a lot of different times. This is lit literally a modern-day dedication, a baby dedication, where they take the baby before, uh, you know, to the temple, and the, and the priest or the rabbi would, would bless them and all. It was like a baby dedication. Now, here in Calvary Chapel, we don't believe in child baptism. We do baby dedication because it's biblical. Child baptism really is not biblical. If we understand what baptism is, which it is just simply identifying with what Jesus Christ has done for us, there is no salvation in the fact that you've been dunked in water and brought back out. That is not how you're saved. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, right? When you're baptized, you're proclaiming that I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm simply identifying with what he's done for me. When you're laid down into that watery grave, you are, you are identifying yourself with the death of Jesus Christ. And when you rise again out of that water, you are rising to newness of life just like Jesus Christ has done for us. He rose so that, so that we could rise victoriously and be set free from this this embodiment of sin, this entrapment. And so here we have these parents now. They're coming to Jesus, and they're coming expectantly. They want him to do something. They're not going to stop until they come to him. And, and so what we find his disciples do is, is they get in the way. So oftentimes, does God's disciples get in the way of what God is doing? So oftentimes do we get in the middle of what he's trying to do and we, we mess things up. Listen, if God doesn't lead you, if he's not directing you, stay out of the way. Amen? Listen, I've done it myself. And it's so frustrating when I realize that I have stepped into a place that I do not belong. That all of a sudden God has said, why did you do that? Why did you get in my way? Can't you see that this person was coming to me. Oh, but I'm going to help you, Lord. Aren't we good at that? Aren't we great helpers? Lord, let me help you bring this person. And oftentimes we hinder the work of God. What, what I want you to notice is these parents were coming expectantly, not to the disciples. They were coming to Jesus. If you are coming this morning, you ought to be coming for one reason and one reason only. You ought to be coming to Jesus. Again, I said it last week, I'll say it again, and I'll say it over and over again. We're not here because this is Calvary Chapel. We're not here because, you know, you're following an ideology or theology or whatever. You're here because you're following Jesus. And you want to be part of what he is doing. Listen, if you ever hear anything else from this pulpit, leave this place. Because that is not, that is man-centered at that point. We do not want to be a man-centered, uh, you know, religious organization. We want to be genuine, true followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're trying to do here. Follow Jesus. Listen, here's, there's something really interesting to note. Something that I think we could just go right past in the scriptures. And, and that is often the case with many scriptures. But here we find the parents bringing the children. I think there is a principle that's being laid out for us. And not just here, but it's in the scripture in general. Of the parental you know, call to bring their children to Jesus. 
We are called as parents to bring our kids to Jesus. Listen, you as a parent ought not be dependent on a church, ought not be dependent on anyone else to bring your kids to Jesus. That's your responsibility. You have to bring them to Jesus. And so oftentimes, parents miss the point. Well, God doesn't force me to come. And so how can I force my children to come? It's not forcing your children to come. Not necessarily even to church. I'm talking coming to Jesus. I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm talking about coming to Jesus. In your personal home, there ought to be just an environment where you're bringing your family to Jesus. Men, if you're here, you're a parent, that's your responsibility to bring your family to Jesus, to bring them all, to take your wife and wash her with the word, to bring your children to the feet of Jesus. That's your responsibility. Mothers, during the day, as the husband is gone and he's doing his thing, he's working, he's providing for the family, your job is to bring your kids to Jesus. This is not a once a day religious kind of thing. This is something that our whole lives ought to be wrapped around. Everything we do ought to be wrapped around this one premise of trying to bring our children to Jesus. That's the point. If you're a parent, well, my, my, my kids are teenagers. They're just not into Jesus. You know, they're hard-hearted towards Jesus. I'm just not, you know, listen, if they're living in your house, then they're under your rules. What did Joshua say? Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so there's this idea of saying, listen, when you come into my house, as you live under my house, we will serve the Lord. I cannot make you believe, but I will not stop bringing you to Jesus because that's my responsibility. Understand, Jesus Christ is in the heart-changing business. That's what he does. My kids are hard-hearted. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. Well, bring them to him because that's his specialty. He changes hearts. He can change your kid's heart. But if you don't bring them, how's that going to happen? Good thing God isn't totally dependent on us. Listen, I grew up in a house my parents didn't bring me to Jesus. I didn't grow up in a way that my parents ushered me into the throne room every day. We didn't pray at my house. We didn't talk about Jesus. We didn't even go to church. We weren't even CEO Christians, man. We didn't even go to church on Christmas and Easter only. We didn't go to church, really, too much. How else am I going to hear? Well, over a period of time, it took 24 years. Through, the time, through, through my life, people would here and there would share the gospel with me, and I, I finally came to the place where I needed Jesus. Your responsibility is not to make your child believe in Jesus. Your responsibility is to bring them into the throne room of Christ and allow him to do the work, allow him to change the heart. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 17. He said, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing what? Through the word of Christ. How else will they know? Listen, 
Do not make the mistake of leaving it up to your child to find Jesus. Bring them to him. Bring them. Pray with them. Talk about Jesus in your home. You know, help them. You know, you can't force it down their throat. Don't misunderstand me. But what I'm saying is every opportunity you have, you bring them to the feet of Jesus. Oh, man, I had a terrible day. Work was just ridiculous. You know, these people are da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Hey, let me pray for you. You bring them to Jesus. Every problem they have, every stress they have, every anxiety they have, every trouble they encounter, even in the joys. Praise God that he's done that for you. You know that's really from him. It's a blessing from God. That is the call of the parent, to bring their children to Jesus. Now, I've had the opportunity to bring my kids to Jesus. And and here's the thing is we created an environment. My wife and I both have had the opportunity to lead our kids one by one to the Lord, you know, in various different times. And when they were ready, when God was doing the work in their hearts, we cultivated an environment and home that we would talk about Jesus. And now my kids pray about stuff when stuff's going on in their life. They come to us and ask them to pray for things that are going on in their lives. If you don't cultivate the environment, it will not happen. You have to cultivate that. The parents in this culture brought their kids to Jesus. That is the call for you and I as parents. Now, not everybody loves little children. I know they're cute, but not everybody's so in tune with that. They don't really like kids. There are some people that are born again that don't like kids. You know that? You ever met any of them? You can tell they don't like kids. You can see in their face, oh my gosh, this person does not like kids. Do not let them in the children's ministry, amen? <laughs> they, they should not be there. But but look at the disciples in this situation. Look how they respond to these parents bringing their children to Jesus. It says at the end of verse 13, their disciples rebuke the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and they went away. The disciples seeing these parents coming decide to become crowd control for Jesus. They're going to uh, not allow Jesus to be bothered with the little kids. They're going to inhibit them coming. Now, here's the thing. They misunderstand his mission, don't they? Jesus is in the business of people. He loves people. He loves people coming to him. Why would you stop that? Why would you get in the way of that? Because of their own selfish desires. That's why we see it over and over again. And here's the thing is, let's not be too harsh with them because we do it ourselves. But do we really have to feed 5,000 people? Do you know how hard that is? Can't we just call in, you know, to get something delivered? Do we really have to do it ourselves? And at, after he fed them, Jesus rebukes his disciples and he says, get in the boat. And he sends them out on the storm and he says, you have to have your heart softened and so I'm going to put you in a trial. Maybe that's why you where you are today. Maybe that's why God is, he's tenderizing you through a trial of some sort. Now, he didn't do that it's not always for that. It's always for that purpose, but it's not always him doing it. Sometimes the enemy comes and he allows it, but the purpose is always for our betterment, right? He allows things into our life because he wants to refine us in some way. And so we don't, we don't have to wonder why he's doing it. We, we can trust him with whatever trial we're going through. But sometimes it's because our heart is hard. And God is saying, I have to, I have to tenderize that heart. And you prayed, Lord, do whatever necessary in my life. To make me more like Jesus. Did you mean it? Did you mean it? 
Because he, that's his will for you. And he wants to do that in your life. These disciples, they are missing the point of his ministry. They are going to, if they don't get it here, if Jesus doesn't address this right now, they're going to miss the entire point of the ministry altogether. Because ministry is about people. That's all it is. It's not about buildings. It's not about Bible studies. It's about people. And as you minister to people, you're doing the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. There is no such ministry in the church called faith prevention. Okay? You are not in faith prevention. Don't do that. Don't get in the way of what God is doing. Matthew doesn't record this detail for us, but in Luke chapter 18, verse 17, we find Jesus' reaction to the way that these, these, these disciples are treating these people. They are rebuking them. They are continually, you know, uh, rebuking them for coming to Jesus. It's a continual thing. And then here's what it says in Luke chapter 18, verse 17. Well, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Now, Jesus got mad at, at unrighteousness, right? He was upset when he went into the temple and he saw that, you know, they, they turned it into a den of thieves and they were ripping people off with the sacrifices. They were, they were cha- when they were changing money, they were, they were ripping people off of the exchange. They were selling animals way higher priced and you could only buy the sacrificial animals from them. And so they, would, they, they basically had a monopoly. Jesus walks into the temple and he starts whipping people. Be- he was indignant with them. That's the idea of where he is with his disciples in this situation. He is ticked off. He's upset. He's angry because they're messing up, uh, you know, the ministry that he came to do to allow people to come to him. God forbid we ever deter anyone from doing that. What does Jesus say? Let the little children come. Let them come to me. If you're taking note, not only are we to come expectantly, but we are to come as children. Uh, You can't be saved any other way, folks. It's coming to Jesus as a child would come. How does a child come? Comes in humility, full of faith. Now, children obviously are not sinless. You know, you miss the illustration if you take it too far. What Jesus was saying was, children are full of faith. They just believe things. That, that, you know, I, I have well, my little cousins, when they, when they were super little, and I was, I was a teenager, I messed around with them a lot. I created clubs that they could be in that were, didn't exist and all kinds of stuff like that, you know, cause, and they were so gold, but they believe anything. Really? I have one of, one of my cousins, I, I created the Notre Dame fan club with him. I'm not even a Notre Dame fan, but whatever. He was there. We were having fun. We were goofing around, and he still thinks that exists somewhere, somehow. I don't know. I hope he's not listening because he'll find out the truth. But children will receive things easily. Hey, I went to the moon yesterday. You believe that? Really, Dad? You did? Yeah, it was awesome, man. They, they are just receptive to things. They are trusting. They are faith-filled creatures. And Jesus is, and, and not only that, but they are, they are believing when things are unbelievable. When, when, when times get tough, and the bills are, are hard to be met. It's not your children stressing out, worried about how they're going to be able to eat the ne- next meal. They're trusting in their parent. They're trusting in their father. They're trusting in their mother. They're trusting that that's all going to happen. Jesus says, let the little children come for theirs, for such. 
or the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's, it's coming to Jesus in a childlike manner by faith. He says, to them belong, listen, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven in, in this particular, in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of God in Luke chapter 18 and Mark chapter 8, or Mark chapter 10, the, the same parallel accounts to what's happening here, uh, those terms are used interchangeably. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. What I want to point out is who gets to go to heaven? It's important. Jesus just tells us right here in Matthew's gospel who gets to go to heaven. It's little children. They get to go to heaven. Uh, you know, contrary to what the Jehovah Witnesses believe, that they're, they're spiritually elite, the 144,000 get to go to heaven. They're the only ones that get to go to heaven. Everybody else gets to inherit this earth. Jesus says here that little ch- to, to, to little children belong the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, right? Not to some spiritual elite anoint, anointed people, 144,000 to be numbered. It's little children. Now, who are these little children? Every person that's ever believed. That's what Jesus says. He, he says, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He said that in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. He says, if you don't become like a child, you can't enter into relationship with me because it takes the childlike faith to do that. And so those are the ones that get to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's so often, you know, the pride of man that will stop them short of the kingdom of heaven. Well, I can't believe in that. That's just ridiculous. I mean, how do I know that this was, you know, that this was really written by God? And how do I, you know, and all these questions and stuff. Well, at some point, there's enough evidence though if you do the research, but people don't even want to do the research, right? They don't want to read the Word of God. They don't, want to, they don't want to test the Scriptures to see if they're true. None of that because that's too much work. But you're going to put your eternal, you know, eternal life based on how you feel about it? Does that make sense? We're talking about eternity here. We're not talking about some flippant thing. We're talking about the matter of either going to heaven or going to hell. Like the choice is yours. And you're going to depend on your feelings? Well, I just can't see how that could be possible. Test the scriptures. See if they're true. They are true. We don't even have to go beyond the Bible, but if you should go beyond the Bible, you will find many, many accounts of various different things that Jesus did really exist. You know, uh, there, you, you, if you really are interested in all of this, read Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. He was an attorney that was going to prove that Jesus Christ was really not who he said he was. And he went, he went to do that. He was, he's an attorney, okay? This is what he does for a living. He's studying to become an attorney. He knows how to research stuff. He knows how to make his point. And he comes to the place where he received Jesus Christ because the evidence is overwhelming. He's done the work for you. All you got to do is buy his book. It's about this thick. Go for it, man. Read it. The Bible is true. And the Bible tells us that unless we become like children, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God, kingdom of, kingdom of heaven. I keep, they're interchangeable again. Jesus is saying, if you want to come to me, you need to come expectantly. I didn't really hit on the point, but the point is that you come expecting him to move. When you pray to God, do you pray to him with expectant heart, expecting him to move, trusting in his will, but expecting him to do something? That's faith. 
saying, God, I'm expecting you to meet me where I am because your word tells me you will. Now, I don't know how that will work out, but what I'm asking you is this, but I'm trusting in your will, but I'm expecting you to move. We don't command God to do things. We, don't, we, we, we believe in him. And we expect him to do what he says. And he will. Test him at it. Test his word in your life and see if it, if it doesn't prove out true. You can come expectantly and you have to come like a child. Now we see how not to come in verse 16. He, he uses this, uh, he, he goes into this other, this is a real account. This is a man, this is not a parable. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? Or to have eternal life. And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now the account here is just really hits home, doesn't it? I mean, here we have a guy that is rich, he's young, and he's powerful. Isn't that everything the world says is striving after? Riches, wealth, to be self-sustained, to not have worries, to have a portfolio that will provide for you and your family and your family's family. Right? To get as much as you can so that we can live it up. Right? He was rich. He was young. We're, we're searching for the fountain of youth every day. It's a new thing. It's the new, new thing here or there. Here's the fountain of youth. You take this, you'll be younger. That's why we, we, we have stores, you know, that 50-year-old that women go into called Forever 21, and they go and shop, and they're like, oh, look how young I am. Listen, you will never, ever be Forever 21, I promise. I don't care what kind of clothes you buy. And yet the world says, seek after that. Let's be youthful. Power stature oh look at that guy he has this position that you know and, the, and he sought after this and he achieved here wow look how great he is this is everything the, by the world standards man this guy has the cat by the tail not only by the world standards but also by religious standards because in this day and age in this culture and much like it is today this is this still this precedent still exists today that if you're if you if you have all these things that we term as God's blessings, then you're blessed. Then it's God that's doing all of that, right? Can I remind you who the ruler of this world is still until Jesus comes back? It's the devil. Cannot the devil bless you with finances? Can he not bless you with power? Can he not bless you with youthfulness? Of course he can do these things. He's powerful. And he does. Because these things detract us from Jesus Christ. And, and, and here's the thing. He tried to do it to Jesus. When he, Jesus was tempted in, the, in the, the garden, he tempted him with food, provisions. 
He tempted him with power. He tempted him with riches. He tempted him with kingdoms and all of these things. He tried to throw the book at Jesus. Everything that we would be tempted in, in any way, he tried to tempt him with. Jesus overcame. But the enemy has the power to be able to give you all of these things. And yet, people will look at someone and they say, wow, look at how blessed you are, man. Why do you say that? Well, I mean, it looks like you're doing pretty well. It looks like, you, you know, you're, you're financially doing pretty well. It looks like, you know, it looks like you're pretty healthy. You know, I mean, you know, and, and also, you know, it looks like you have some power. I mean, that's obviously God, is it? Just like when you walk in a church and you see it filled with 50,000 people, does that mean it's God? Listen, we walk by faith, not by sight. And when we see, what we see is not necessarily what we get. You understand? We, we are deceived by sight. That's why God says don't walk by sight. Walk by faith. And so you walk into a place and you go, man, wow, this looks like it's really happening. And then the Spirit of God just starts to speak to you about what's not happening. And you go, oh, well, it, it had the appearance of the blessings of God. Beware of the appearance of blessings of God in your life. Oh, look at this new job offer I got. Look at the, you know, this or that or whatever. I mean, this is a this is terrible analogy, but, you know, watch the, uh, the people who have won the lottery and how they wish they hadn't. How did it work out for them? Not too well for many of them. It destroyed many of their lives. Because these things detract us away from what's important. We become self-sufficient. We become, uh, we become self-focused. This man it has everything that the world would say and everything the religious people would say is the blessings of God, and it was not. He comes to Jesus. Notice he has all this stuff, and yet he knows that he's lacking something. That's what's interesting. So what we get from that is this guy is kind of in tune with what's going on inside, right? He knows that he's still lacking something. And he thinks Jesus can help him. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, teacher. Now he recognizes Jesus as an authority, as a messenger of God. He says, listen, you are a teacher. Now, Matthew's gospel doesn't say what Mark and Luke both say. Both of them, both those accounts say good teacher. Good teacher. In Matthew, it just says teacher. The idea is that the guy recognizes the authority that Jesus has. And he's coming to Jesus and he's saying, what good deed must I have to attain eternal life? Here's his theological, you know, position. Works. I'm a works-based man. What do I need to do to gain salvation? Teacher. This man is coming to Jesus religiously. He thinks that his righteousness is found in himself. As with most religious folks, this man does not realize that he is a sinner in need of a Savior. The Savior's right there. He's come to the right place. The question is, will he bow his knee? Notice how Jesus navigates through his question. What must I do to have eternal life? He could have cut to the chase right there. And he could have just said, well... You can sell your, you know, all your possessions. You, you can stop worshiping money. He could have just said that, but he doesn't. I find it interesting that Jesus goes directly to the place that the man must feel the most comfortable, the most secure. Uh, you know, 
So Jesus says, well, well, you know the commandments, just keep them. Well, which ones, he says? Well, you know, don't, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. You know, those ones, you know, the, all, all the horizontal laws, you know, that relate to man, your relationship with man, you can feel pretty good about yourself when you start to look at these on the surface level, right? Be murdering people. Anybody murder anyone? If you have, you're probably not here. We could probably be pin pals, but you probably wouldn't show up on Sunday morning, right? Because you'd be in jail if you murdered somebody. It, it, have you? Admit, maybe you have committed adultery. Maybe you haven't. But we can find ourselves. Maybe you have lied. Maybe you haven't lied. You can find yourself measuring up to these going, well, I'm pretty good. I mean, many of us could feel pretty comfortable, you know, looking at these laws on the surface. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount takes it to a different level when he says, well, let me really tell you what these laws mean. When it talks about uh, murder, well, well let's, let me tell you how God sees that. If you get angry with a brother, you've murdered him in God's eyes. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 33, he addresses murder and adultery. He says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, if you're like, whoa, you know, and you see that woman, guess what? You've committed adultery in God's eyes. He took it to a whole nother level. He's saying, you guys are trying to keep the law on the surface externally, but it goes way deeper than that. It goes down to the core of the heart. Look internally. And so he, he's, trying to, he's trying to help this guy see that, that, you know what? You might be good, but you're not good enough. Jesus, before he gets into this, I jumped ahead of myself. He says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? There is no one but God that's good. He addresses his identity with him first. It's so important to understand the identity of Jesus Christ. What he was posing the question back to the guy here was, if you think that I'm good, you must think that I'm God. If you think that I'm good, you must think that I'm God because only God is good. That's what he's saying to the guy. No more conversation about that. Jesus leaves it at that. I am God. Listen, many people that come to Jesus, you know, that come to, to, to the Lord religiously, they don't really care about the identity of Jesus because it doesn't matter to them because they're basing their salvation on themselves, on what they do. Who cares if Jesus is God? Who cares if he's, he's man? It doesn't matter to me because I don't need Jesus. I'm coming religiously based on my own deeds, based on who I am. And Jesus is saying, oh, but you do need me. And God, if a man could save you, by the way, if Jesus were only a man, then, then he could have created a man to do that. God did not have to come down. Jesus became a man. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 says that Jesus emptied himself. And he became in the form of a man. What does he empty himself of? You know, we have to dig in deep to these things and understand what is he talking about very quickly. What Jesus is saying here, when, it, when, when, when Paul says that Jesus emptied himself and he takes on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, what he emptied himself of is his divine power, not his divine nature. He was still God, but he chose to operate by the power of the Holy Spirit, just like you and I do. He said, I will become a man, I will live perfectly, I will die sacrificially, and I will raise victoriously. 
When he emptied himself, he emptied himself of his divine power. But he did not empty himself of his deity. He was still God at the same time. Emmanuel, God with us, the song we just sang. That's who came for us. Jesus was totally dependent upon the Spirit of God and the will of the Father. He said in John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He wasn't just a man. He was God who became a man to accomplish what no other human being on the planet could accomplish, to live a sinless life so that he could trade his righteousness for our sin. Wow. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. That blows my mind. Blows my mind. In Romans 5.8, why will we were yet still sinners he did that? Wow. Seeing you rejecting him, he still willingly crucified himself. Those same people, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, crucify him same ones and he would die for them and he'd say father forgive them for they know not what they do Jesus addresses his identity with this man then he addresses his false sense of righteousness where he says look at the law oh I feel pretty good about it so Jesus takes him to the next level okay let me really uncover let me peel back what your issue is just on the surface because you're going to realize this is your issue you got issues with all these other things, by the way. But we're not going to, I'm not going to dig into those right now. I'm just going to peel back the most obvious one to you because I know which one it is. That's why it's so important when you're evangelizing to somebody that you're led by the Spirit because he knows what to say to that person. Listen, it doesn't have to make sense to you in the moment what he wants you to say. You say it. it you do not have to be on the same page with the Holy Spirit and have full understanding of what he's trying to say to somebody. You just say it. And you let him speak because we're simply vessels, right? It's not our message, it's his message. It's not our power, but it's his power. And so we let him speak. And Jesus just says, hey, you know what your issue is? You're a worshiper of money. You want to be perfect? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm after. How do I be perfect? Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and your rewards will be in heaven, he says. And then come and follow me. It's that simple. Does that sound hard? It doesn't sound hard to somebody who loves Jesus. But it sounds really hard to somebody who loves money. Right? What do you mean? Sell all that I have. God will provide for you every step of the way. If he told you to write a check today for everything that is in your bank account, would you have a faith to do it? Would you have the faith to do it? That's what he's calling you to. I'm not saying he's calling you to do that, but I'm saying that if he were to call you to do that, that's how you're called to live. Not dependent on what's in your bank account. Not dependent on the cash in your pocket. Dependent on him and him alone because all of that can go in, a, in an instant. It could be gone. It happens. And so if you're reliant on your riches, your wealth, on, on anything else horizontally, you're going to end up in a place where you're going to be left short. 
where you're going to be lacking, where you're going to be like this man that says, what else must I do? What else must I do? This isn't doing it for me. What else do I need to do? We see this with people that have all kinds of money. They have more money than they know what to do with. And yet they're not, they're not filled with the Spirit. They don't have peace. They're searching for peace in drugs and, 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 and you know, uh, life, uh, licentious lifestyles, all kinds of different things because they don't have peace because money doesn't buy you peace. This guy went away and he was sad. He was sorrowful because he knew that he couldn't do it. He knew that he couldn't do it. He knew that he was lacking. I love in Mark's gospel, in the, in the 21st verse of t- chapter 10, it says that when he, when he was talking to Jesus about the commands, it says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He loved him and then he told him, Here's what your deal is. God loves religious people. And I think sometimes as non-religious people, we kind of start looking down on religious people. Is that an oxymoron or what? (laughs) We're looking down on religious people? We should be looking eyeball to eyeball with every person. Jesus loves them. And he says, man, they're stuck, and I want to help them. I want to bring them along the way. But they have to be willing. So don't judge. Just love them like he's loving them. And listen to the Spirit of God speaking. Jesus goes on in verse 23, and Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, Jesus was simply saying this, that riches are so deceitful that they can lead people right away from the Lord. He was saying it's nearly impossible. It's impossible for a rich person that's stuck in that, that's dependent on that, to come to a place where they are going to be saved. It's impossible actually for anyone, any human being to be saved apart from God's intervention. That's what he was saying here. It's not, the point isn't how impossible it is for a rich person to go to heaven. That's not the point. The point is, it's impossible for any person to go to heaven unless God intervenes in their life. But it is difficult for rich people because they have no need. You know, that's why there's great awakenings and revivals happening in the 1040 window, the poorest parts of our our world, because these people have real needs. You know, they don't have food to eat. So maybe you don't get that, but when you're in the place where you're depending on God to provide food, maybe your faith's a little greater. Maybe you can understand that a little bit more. But when you're in a, in a country like ours that is just so bountiful and people have what they need and, and, you know, at least they have the capacity to get what they need, you know, and that's why people are so hardened to the gospel in our country. It's primarily this. Jesus said there in the sower, uh, you know, the parable of the sower, he said that there was one of, those, one of those hearts, one of those heart conditions that was rocky. And it says when he sowed into the rocky ground that, that, it's, that the, 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 the fruit sprung up quickly, but then it died when the cares of the world came over because of the deceitfulness of riches. It's, riches are deceitful, man. They will steer you away from the Lord. You know, again, being rich is not the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. 
There are many people in the Bible that were rich and they loved Jesus. Many, many followers of Christ. The devil just uses that. Contrary to popular belief, Jesus is not saying that there was a gate in Jerusalem that, that camels would try and wiggle their way through on their knees to get through and they, it was difficult for them to get through. That, that gate doesn't exist. There are some that, that quote that, but that is not the case. I think Jesus was being literal here. He's just saying it's, it's that hard. And in fact, that, that was a saying during the day, by the way. He, it used to be hard for an elephant to fit through the eye of a needle, but it got changed somewhere along the way, and now it's, now it's camel. Peter and the disciples say, man, we've left everything, Jesus, in verse 27. We've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for by my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. What Jesus was simply saying is that there is great blessings for those who give up all to follow him. And if you're, uh, uh, you know, a, a replacement theology person that says that, you know, the church has replaced Israel, well, how does this work then? How are we going to rule over Israel if we replaced Israel as the church? Because that didn't happen. Because Israel still exists and they'll be dealt with in the tribulation period. And during the millennial reign, uh, reign of Christ, it will be a, very, it will be a Jewish culture. It, all, everything that was happening in the Old Testament will be happening in the millennial reign. And you and I as believers who have chosen to follow Christ, who have given all to him, will we'll rule and reign with him during that time period. And we'll watch, we'll get all of the symbolisms and all of that stuff in the Old Testament of how it all pointed us to Jesus. How awesome will that be? When we get to that place, Jesus said, listen, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. You can choose to get everything you can out of this world or you can choose to sacrifice this world and get everything you can out of eternity. It seems it's just such an oxymoron to compare and yet that's, we, we try and squeeze everything out of this world. We try to go after everything in this world rather than choosing to follow Christ with everything that we have and you know what? The Bible tells us if we do that, seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. It's when we stop chasing it that God starts blessing. Listen, he's calling us to come to him, come to him expectantly, to come to him as a child, and to not come to him religiously. Because if you try to come to God religiously, he will reject you because you're not good. There is none not good, only God. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your goodness in our lives, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that salvation is a work of you and you alone, Lord. That you draw all hearts to yourself. That you woo us by the conviction of your spirit, showing us our need for Christ, a Savior, revealing our sin to us, Lord. You are so good to us, God. Lord, we ask even now you forgive us, Lord, for those places that we truly have become self-sufficient, have become self-righteous. 
in those areas in our lives where we have been dependent on things that are not you. Any idols in our lives, God, we lay down before you now. We ask you to cleanse us. And Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to recognize what the call is on our life to come to you. When we come, that we come expectantly, wanting you to move, Lord, knowing that you will move, believing in you. We come as a little child, Lord, filled with faith. Father, that we don't come to you religiously. Lord, there are born-again people who become very religious. Protect our hearts from that, Lord. We pray even now, if there's anyone here that is struggling, that's thinking it's about what they do, like they can gain favor. One day it's, man, I'm great with the Lord because I've been living my life right, and then they blow it and they sin, and now they're down in the dumps. They don't think God wants anything to do with them. And you would say, listen, that's coming to me religiously. You come to me by grace through faith alone in Christ. Your righteousness is found in him and him alone. Lord, would you help that to sink into our hearts today? And we do want to ask, Lord, if there's anyone here this, this morning that isn't in relationship with you, that is in that place of whatever, maybe like this rich young ruler, or, or you know, they're, they're, they're thinking, Lord, what else must I do? That you simply just say, man, will you just grab hold of me by, through my son, Jesus Christ? Will you just believe this morning by faith in the grace that's come down? And if that's you this morning, just slip your hand up in the air. I want to pray a prayer with you. Invite Jesus into your heart. If you are saying today you're not sure if you're in a relationship with Christ and you're not sure, maybe you've been living religiously, you come to church or whatever, but you're saying, I'm not sure if I'm in a relationship with God, would you raise your hand? I just want to pray with you. Invite Jesus Christ into your life. Listen, God loves you so much that he will continue to ask over and over again. And this is one of those moments in your life and you know who you are right now. He's calling you, drawing you, and he wants you to simply respond to him. Listen, the invitation is there. And he's saying, but you've got to come. You've got to be willing to come to me by faith. Is that you this morning? Just lift your hand up. Say, Lord, it's me. Lord, we are so grateful that you pursue us relentlessly. And even as believers today, God, we need you more than we did yesterday. So would you fill us with your spirit now? Would you blanket this place with power and with your love? And will you help us, God, to live the life that you've called us to live, Lord, for your glory, for your honor, for your fame. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we close in this song, if there's anything going on that you would like to pray about or you want prayer for, you can come up during the song. You can come up after the song. There'll be some people up here that will pray with you. Um, if you want to just be left alone by yourself, just go, all, go over to the side and you can pray over there and we'll leave you alone. But listen, this is, the, this is the point in time in which you respond to God. The invitation's been given. He's spoken and he says, now you come just as you are. So let's stand and worship. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.